I'm Lauren Dimmitt Waters. I'm a New York City-based blogger and influencer who has been covering beauty, fashion, and lifestyle for what seems like forever. But now I'm a woman in midlife who wants to discover all the secrets to growing younger. I'm ready to explore topics that deal with health and anti-aging, especially when it comes to beauty, fashion, wellness, and longevity. I'll unearth what works and what you shouldn't waste your money on. Even if it's crazy, I'll hunt down the latest and greatest to help us all get through this journey called life with a little humor and a lot of attitude. I want to keep fighting the fight so we can all grow old ungracefully. So welcome to Beauty is a Bitch. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to a new episode of Beauty is a Bitch. We are going to talk about women's health today. Uh, My guest, Susan Salinger, is the author and researcher behind Sidelined, How Women Manage and Mismanage Their Health. This book examines the many ways in which some women manage and sometimes mismanage their health care, and it was just recently released this past April. Susan explores how women, typically the medical gatekeepers for their families, tend to be extremely diligent about taking care of themselves, yet at the same time inadvertently undermine their own care. They often hesitate to call their doctor when they don't feel well and worry that their doctor visit will take time away from their families or work. They may hesitate to ask doctors the necessary questions and don't always comply with the doctor's instructions. Salinger's research reveals how conflicted many women are about the medical decisions they ultimately make. Born and raised in Los Angeles, Susan attended UCLA to study English. After graduation, she worked alongside her husband, Fred, for 25 years at their production company, Salinger Films, which produced corporate training and development films distributed worldwide. Today, Susan lives in Northern California. And when she's not speaking about her book or spending time with family and friends, you can find her powerlifting to stay in shape. Love that. How are you, Susan? <laughs> I love it. I power lift. I lift too. Do you? Oh, oh yeah. Got to do it, especially as we yeah. get older. It's like it's true. Yeah, no, it's true. It's true. See, I'm taking care of my health already. I'm trying. <laughs> okay. So I wanted to ask you, I did, I recently finished your book as in like last night. (laughs) (laughs) I had had started it a long time ago and then I realized I didn't finish it. So I did finish it. And I wanted to know what prompted you to write Sideline and why is a book such as yours so important? Well, there's a couple of things that prompted me and there's a couple of reasons it's so important. I had a very bad personal experience many, many years ago where I had agreed to some surgery that I was sure I didn't need. I had changed medications and just had some common side effects. And I was sure that the side effects were due to the new medication. And the doctor was sure they weren't. So we were kind of at a stalemate. And after doing a bunch of tests, he said, well, you know, I think you need exploratory surgery. And I agreed, just like that. I didn't get a second opinion. I didn't go and do any research. I did no due diligence, no homework. So there it was. And the next thing I knew, I was being wheeled into the operating room with all my tubes attached, thinking to myself, what in the world was I thinking? Why did I agree to this? So they did the surgery. They found nothing. I went back on my old medication and you know, lived healthily ever after. But I, unfortunately, although I was healthy, I lived for a while with the shame and anger that I felt at myself for not listening to my gut. And then, you know, life goes on. So then I retired and went back to UCLA and took some classes. 
and did a project on women who had had hysterectomies. And so when I, as I interviewed them, much to my surprise, they too had agreed to the surgery, although several of them were completely unsure that they needed it. Wow. And of course that, yeah, it was, it was fascinating. Yeah. So that brought up all my old feelings. And I thought, well, you know, is this just us? I mean, maybe it was the few women that I interviewed. I didn't know. So I went and did a bunch of research. And sure enough, there are a lot of reasons that women agree to stuff that they really, medical stuff that they really shouldn't. And what's so interesting, Lauren, is it's this, it can be the same women. Some of the time you agree, some of the time you disagree. It kind of depends on the circumstances. So I don't mean to imply that all women do this all of the time, because that's not true. Well, I, I can think of instances where I have done things and been like, why am I doing this? And then there's other times where I've learned to advocate for myself. I think you can be that same person. Can't you? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so like, why, why do you think women are more apt to agree to unnecessary medical procedures and the like? Why, it's why? one of my favorite questions because we've just been so socialized. We, we play nice. We play by the rules. We don't want to cause a problem. We don't want to be rude. You know, all of those things go into it. And so it's, it's, you feel awkward questioning the doctor. But one woman even told me she didn't want to be a bad patient. Not only did she feel rude, because, I mean, after all, he was the professional, but she also said that she was afraid that she'd be known as a difficult patient and that that mark would follow her all through her, her medical career, if you can call it a career but she was afraid it would go in her chart. Wow. Wow. So tell us about the book and how you found the women you interviewed and were they all open to being interviewed? They were so open. First of all, I found them on the internet. I mean, I really wouldn't probably, I don't know if I would do that today, but I went to the various support groups and I said, Hey, you know, I'm a writer and I'd like to, you know, talk to you about your experience. And they were so willing. And I went to their homes. I mean, that's the part I wouldn't do today. But nevertheless, I did do it. I drove all over. Um, And they they were so anxious to talk about their illness, their feelings. And then I did a lot of research, again, to see if I could, if research supported what they said. And it, and it really did. And I was amazed at the amount of research out there on how so many of us don't do what we need to do to take the best care of ourselves. Yeah, I was, I, I like you include like history, which is really fascinating. Like you go way back into yeah. the medical and like women. And um, I thought this was interesting. You said here, it says women often don't comply with their doctor's instructions. And I want to know why you think that is, but okay. it, says, it says here research, this was shocking to me because this isn't me. Research shows that 20 to 30% of medication prescriptions are never filled and approximately 50% of medications for chronic disease are not taken as prescribed. Is that just women? Pretty much. I, I, I have to be honest. I did not research men. Okay. But right. it, all I know is that women do it more than men do. Now, how much more is the part I don't know. Um, I find that fascinating because... Well, they, I'll tell, I think I could answer it a little bit. Okay. Because uh, it's not me either. Although, it, it, you know what? That's not true. Recently, I mean, this is a silly story, but I had a, ba- I had a, my thumb hurt. And because I'm hysterical, I decided it was thumb cancer or whatever. <laughs> I don't, you know, so I went, I went to the, the thumb doctor or the you know, whatever orthopedist, I guess. 
And she said, well, you know, you've just got an arthritic thumb. So, of course, my blood pressure immediately dropped. And then she gave me some medication. And I said, well, listen, I'm on these other medications. Are they, is it going to interfere? And she said, no, 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 it'll be just fine. Well, because I wrote the book, I went home and did my research and I looked up the medications she had prescribed. And she was right. It, it, it only interfered with uh, the one medication I was on. But 1% of the people that, that are on the Lexapro that I'm on do develop a brain bleed. So I thought to myself, if you're the 1%, it ain't so good. No, so let's not. see, sore thumb, brain yeah. bleed. No problem. Take the sore thumb. I'll take the sore Yeah, thumb. I took the sore thumb and incidentally, it's now 100% better. Oh, but I think one of the reasons that women generally do that, and, and this, this I found fascinating, is that we've put ourselves last. Mm-hmm. There was a, a small study done where women were given five things to what, what, to prioritize. Who or what would they take care of first? And the first thing we all take care of is our children. The right. second thing is our pets. And I loved that. I just loved it. We put our pets before anybody else. The third thing is our elderly parents or family members. Fourth is our significant others. And last and probably least is ourselves. So I think that one of the reasons women don't fill prescriptions and or comply with them is that it takes time. You have to go to the pharmacy or do it online, and then you have to take the pill, and then you may have side effects, and you can't fulfill your family responsibilities. It goes right back to taking care of ourselves, and we don't always <laughs> don't always do a good job of it. Wow. I don't know. It just seems that I, I guess the other way to look at it is I want to take these things because I want to be there for my family. I want to take care of myself. Right. And that's really the message of the book. I think by putting ourselves last, we're doing not only ourselves, but our families a disservice. You can't take care of them if you don't feel well. Yeah. Yeah. I I think I, I'm hoping that women begin to see that to be the truth and take care of themselves first. Well, and right. And I really don't want what happened to me to happen to other women. And that's really why I wrote the book. Right. Well, yeah, yeah. I'm, I, I, I say, I maintain that women really need to advocate for themselves. And that's right. really, and, and then this book just, you know, really backs that up. I mean, obviously with more facts than just that, but I just find it fascinating that, you know, I do think that we're overprescribed. Can you talk about that, though, too? Yes, I can, actually. And and some of it is legitimate. You know, it's interesting because women, first of all, we get many more autoimmune diseases than men do. And so that's part of the reason we're misdiagnosed and, and we should get into that, you know, later on. But as a result, excuse me, as a result, women are not only misdiagnosed, but we're prescribed Uh, We suffer more from anxiety and depression. And a lot of times the autoimmune diseases, instead of being diagnosed correctly, are diagnosed as anxiety and depression. Mm -hmm. So we're given a lot of, we're prescribed a lot of pills. Um, And I I think that's one of the reasons. And and sometimes they're they're warranted. It's not that they're not. Right. One of the most interesting things I found in the book, and really it was a major conflict in the book and one that I had to work around as I did my research, is there's a lot of research that shows how proactive women really are about their health. We keep up with our tests. We take care of our families. We're the medical gatekeepers for the families. And yet sometimes 
as I said earlier, some women, some of the time, really let themselves go. And those two things kind of need to be balanced. It, it, it was an interesting conflict, an interesting conundrum. Yeah, I can see that. Um, I, I, I have so many more questions about that. But um, So I know you put together some focus groups. How did you put your focus groups together and, and why you did it that way? Like, Did you learn anything different from focus groups than you did from individual women? You know, I, I did not expect to, but yes, I really did. First of all, I, I found the, the people for the focus groups the easy way. I hired a focus group facilitator oh, right, right. <laughs> put them together. Right. You know, I threw money at the problem. Right. You know? right. um, but I learned, but I, well, I wanted some geographical diversity. That was why I did it. Um, right. Instead of flying all over the country, you know, I just put together the focus groups. But one of the things that absolutely fascinated me, and as, as you were saying earlier, this is not me at all, but almost all of the women in the focus groups had never talked about their illness with anybody other than their doctor. And all, they were, I know, I, I did, you know, I saw your face. I did the same. I, I couldn't understand it because, you know, you asked me how I am and I want to know how much time you have. Because <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> right, exactly, right. exactly. Um, but I was really surprised. And they were all so happy to hear that other women had similar issues. This is regardless of the particular disease, because right. I, I purposely got women with different diseases, but their feelings about their disease. In fact, you asked me earlier why my book is different. And this was why, because I focus on the behavior. The disease is a different book, whether you have lupus or endometriosis, it, it's, it's the same feelings. And that's what I wanted to get at. So what I learned from the focus groups is that women really are ashamed of being ill. And that really surprised me. Yeah. Um, and then as I did some more individual interviews, I followed up with that a little bit. And this was this to me is one of the most interesting parts of the book is that women blame their, their illness. Many women blame their illness on stress. And so if you're stressed and you get sick, you, what they did is they extrapolated that, so to speak, and internalized it to feel that, well, they can't manage their stress. They obviously can't manage their lives. That's why they got sick. And to take it even one step further, they felt that their illness was almost a public manifestation of their inability to manage their own lives. Because, of course, everybody would know that it was due to stress. I mean, we, we say that so-and-so got sick because look how much stress she was under. Right, right. So that implies that she can't, couldn't manage it. And they were embarrassed. Many of the women were embarrassed and ashamed about being sick. And I get angry. That is not me. I get pissed off when I'm sick. I can't bear it. I get so pissed. But yeah. a lot of women don't. A lot, I, 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 that was the other thing that really surprised me. And the focus group actually brought that out as well as the individual. So you're saying that women take it as like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like they did something to, um, mm -hmm. or didn't do something that then it, it caused right. it to happen. Right. So, right. If uh -huh. I, if I, if I could just manage my stress better, if I could just reduce my stress, I wouldn't be sick. And then this wouldn't happen. And it's not true. I mean, so much of illness is random. Exactly. Um, yeah. Uh, that, okay. Well, wow, that's so surprising. I mean, a, a lot, it's interesting because when I read this, I could, I could relate to a lot of it. Like one thing that you talk about in the book that I found really interesting is how we talk to our doctors and can we talk about that? So we go in women, I say we being women, um, right. go in and don't ask the questions that we should be asking because right. we don't want to 
be labeled difficult or, you know, a, a host of other reasons. So can you talk about how women typically go in and speak with their doctor and then what we should be doing instead? Okay. Well, first of all, we have different conversation styles than men do. Men right. go in and they're very succinct. I mean, this is a silly example, but they go in and they say, I have a sore throat and then they shut up. Women can say, well, I have a sore throat and it makes me so tired. I can't take care of my kids. And I mean, I have no energy. I've, it hurts to eat. So I've lost a lot of weight. That might be a good thing or a bad thing, depending on how you feel about your body. But we go into the whole thing. And sometimes the physical symptoms can get subsumed by the emotional ones. Right. And so what will happen is sometimes the doctor will give you a psychological diagnosis. And in the meantime, you forgets to treat your sore throat. In fact, there was another study done that was really fun where they gave letters, uh, cancer patients were describing their symptoms and they gave the letters to, you know, a a group of men and women interns or something. And they were, the interns were able to tell over half of the time which letters were written by women and which were men because the writing and conversation style was so different. So I thought that was fascinating. That is. And you also said that like male doctors tend to cut off women faster. I saw something. Right. You know, I'm going to digress just for a second, because a lot of people ask me, should they go to a male doctor or a female doctor? I was going to ask that, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I I, I like that question, too, because the answer is, you know, in a way, yes. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. The literature says, well, let, let me start this way. First of all, male and female doctors, like male and female patients, have different conversation styles. The male doctor will be much more businesslike, much, much more. What's the word I want? He'll he'll get he'll take your history. He'll focus more on your physical symptoms. And the female doctor will the woman doctor will talk more about your feelings, etc. So the first thing I need to say is it depends what you want and what you need. You're on your lunch hour and you're in a hurry and you want to get in and get out. You may prefer a male doctor. If you want a relationship and to talk a little bit about what's going on in your life, you may want a female doctor. And I have both. So now that I've said that, I have a male doctor, and this will blow you away, spends about 45 minutes with me at each appointment. I mean, in today's world, that's amazing. Always ask me how I feel. And I have a female doctor, and she says, hi, how are you? And I go, fine. And then we just move right on. So these things are not, you know, they're generalizations, but there they are. So I think what you want in a doctor is somebody that's competent and somebody that you like and that you feel likes you. That's the most important thing. Certainly, you don't want to go to a doctor that's an idiot. And there are some out there, of course, that's right. true in the profession. But you also, to feel, to you. Yeah, no, right. you also want to feel that they like you. And there's some reasons for that. You'll be more open about your symptoms. You're more liable to comply with uh, whatever the prescription, whether it's a medication or whatever. You'll, you'll develop more trust. So well, I think, yeah, I know. I was going to say, I liked your advice about writing your questions down first before you go. Yes. Um, yes. My mom always did that. I didn't. Um, because what happens is you remember something as they're yes. like walking out the door and it could be very important. Right. Right. Exactly. I always do now. I, I didn't before. You know, right. this book taught me as well. But right. I do write down my questions. Well, for one thing, I get very anxious when I go to the doctor and I get I, my, I get a, a what I call a senior moment or a brain fart because <laughs> <you know, laughs> my brain just goes blank. So I do follow the list. But the list also does something else. It keeps the it keeps the interview on focus. It focused. 
it kind of tells the doctor where you want to go and it reminds you of, as you said, so you don't, don't do something. Don't ask any questions as they, as they walk out the door. That's not fair. And you'll get a, a, a breezy answer that really won't help you. Right. Any other tips? Yeah, definitely. Well, write, make a list and always clarify what the doctor said. That's only about 15% of women will tell the doctor when they don't understand something. Oh, interesting. That's not good. You really want to paraphrase in your own words what you hear the doctor say. And the reason for that is it gives you a chance to make sure that you heard correctly. And it also gives the doctor a chance to confirm that, yes, you did or no, you didn't. Maybe he or she didn't say it in the, in the way that you can best understand it. So I think that that's very important. I also and, like that you say that you should get the, the exact medical term of what mm-hmm. you of. I think whatever. it's so in, absolutely. And I think it's so important to get to get the name of the disease you have. Write it down. Make sure you've spelled it correctly so you can go home and look it up. Um, one of the most important parts of the book is the resource list at the back of it. I was going to mention that. It's fantastic. In fact, it's a, it's like, I, it was funny. I was like, wait, I'm done. Cause it's like quite a bit of the back of the book. So I was right, right. I, I like breeze through and I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm done. But you do, you list like really extensive, which is fantastic. But there's a resource directory at the back, just so everybody knows. And it's like everything from like centers for disease control and prevention, Cleveland Clinic. Um, Harvard Health, but then you also kind of break it down into like clinical trials and medication only. It's fantastic. Like I didn't even realize some of these existed. I I worked hard on that. I did every, I tried to do your thinking for you because I think it's really important to do your due diligence and do your homework and make sure that the diagnosis you got is fits your symptoms and it may or may not. I just so why you, I think you already touched upon this on why is sideline different from other books out there and I think you said because you're looking at it from a behavioral right mm-hmm. can you totally I, I purposely picked women with different diseases because I'm interested in the behavior yes and what what we do and how much control we try to exert and I think it's just so important to realize that illness as I said earlier it is random. We, we can't always control the illness. We can only control what we do about it. And I think that that's really important. Well, you can control your behavior and, and that's what's great about right. it. I think this right. book is it's taking right. control back um, for your health. Yes. You know, um, no matter what you have or, right. or don't have or finding right. out right. what you, you know, or getting to the bottom of something and maybe it's nothing, but at least you ask the right questions. Because I think we all, same thing, you know, like you, you were joking before your thumb hurt and immediately you thought you had thumb cancer. Like, I think we all, you know, <laughs> all we've all done that. And we have worst case scenario in our heads. Yeah. And, yeah, and then we stress ourselves that. out. It's <laughs> <laughs> right. true. And, you know, I forgot a very important question. When you do get a diagnosis, it's always good to ask, and what else could this possibly be? Because that gives you another couple oh, of okay. things to look up. And I think that that's a good question to ask. And you did um, say you think that we should get obviously second opinions. I mean, oh, I feel so strongly about that. First right. of all, if I'd done that, I could have avoided my unnecessary surgery. Right. But you know, and I'm glad you brought that up again because there's about I don't know twenty, thirty, maybe even forty. I've read different numbers, forty thousand diseases out there, and many of the symptoms mimic each other: fatigue, lack of energy, lack of appetite, trouble sleeping. 
So, you know, that could be, the doctor has a choice of, let's say, 20,000 diseases to look at. Let's pick the smaller number. So for the doctor, it can be like looking for a needle in a haystack. Right. Diagnoses are subjective. So a gastroenterologist will probably tell you, could tell you it's a stomach issue. A psychologist could tell you it's a stress issue. You see what you expect to see. I mean, and that's true of us as well as of doctors. Right, right. And so a second opinion is just really important. And I think most doctors will back me up on that. I've never had a problem when, when I have done it. Or, or even get a third if you need it. Like I know, Absolutely. You know, I know my father uh, had very conflicting um, results from getting uh, a biopsy done. Uh-huh. And, you know, one came back stage one and the other one came back stage like three something, you know, three B. Right. And right. I'm like, you know what, that's, those are very conflicting. I think right. you got a third, you know, got a third because. Well, and you know, there's, there's the Rita Wilson story in the book about her breast cancer where the one doctor said you had, you don't have it. And the second doctor said you do. And the third doctor said, yes, you do. Right. So if she hadn't gotten that third opinion. She might've just, she might've wavered. And right. I, I, it's, yeah. The other thing that went, and this is my own, per, this is not in the book. This is my own personal philosophy, but if you get a biopsy or particularly as a woman, well, I guess a man too, if you have a lump and the doctor says, well, let's wait and see, what are we waiting for to wait and see if I'm going to die? I don't think that's a good oh God, idea. Yeah, no. Oh my goodness. No. no. Yeah. So I always say, no, let's, let's look at it now. Let's get it out of there or whatever it yeah, is. Yeah. Let's biopsy it now. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not a proponent of wait and see. I'm really not. No, my gosh, that could be a matter of life and death. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, okay. So why do some women some of the time do themselves such a disservice? Like why? And I think you touched on this because we're, we're people pleasers. We don't want to rock the boat. We don't want right. to sometimes draw attention to ourselves. But what, what, are, what are some of the other reasons you think? I, I think some of the other reasons, number one, are the shame that we feel about being ill. It, it, when, when we do feel the shame, it kind of manifests in hesitating to call the doctor. Oh, oh you'll love this little story. <laughs> AARP, I think it was, did a study of, of, about, of women and asked about asked a bunch of women who, if they thought they were having a heart attack, would they call 911? And over 50% of the women said they would not call 911 because they didn't want the paramedics to see their messy house. So can you imagine? And my editor said, she said, can you imagine putting on their tombstone, if only she had kept a neater house, she'd be alive today. I mean, oh. <laughs> you know what's funny? I, I've, I've actually heard that. I just didn't realize the percentage was yeah. so high. But. Oh, I know. It's amazing to me. And there was a study done in Canada, which was in, in, a, in, in a sense supported it, where women who thought they were having a heart attack knew they didn't feel right, didn't call the doc. Well, one woman, for example, laid in bed, laid awake in bed all night, pretty sure she was having a heart attack but she didn't want to wake her husband because he worked so hard during the day and she thought he needed his sleep. So we put ourselves last and we feel ashamed. And I think that's what, I think those are the bottom line reasons for behaviors. That's a pretty extreme example. I would hope. Yeah. 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 I mean, she could have died. Yes. She could have died. So women are so proactive, like, when it comes to certain aspects of their health, but 
and they work at it diligently. But like, what do you mean they have trouble getting the most effective health care? Because of all of the things that we've talked about, we put ourselves last, we don't get a second opinion. We mostly frequently don't tell the doctor when we don't understand something. So we go away with confused and probably anxious. And I, I think also there, there's some real, not, not that that isn't real, but there's some, what do I want to say? Uh, just reason, well, the reasons I'm thinking of that women get misdiagnosed is first of all, our, our diseases get less research funds. Right. Prostate cancer, for example, gets a lot more research dollars than uterine cancer, cervical cancer, ovarian cancer, and those are more fatal. So we have let our, our diseases get less money. Up until recently, women weren't allowed in clinical trials. So we, although it's much better today, we're still living with that history. Right, right. And so we know less about women's bodies. And I think too that we are prescribed more medications, but we don't comply as much. And so I think if you're, you know, medicine doesn't do any good if you don't take it, you know? For sure. Yeah. What are the three most common hurdles women need to overcome to improve their healthcare? Ah, great. I'm glad you asked. Oh, absolutely. Get a second opinion. Please, please, please. Okay. Use the resource list at the back of the book or do your own research. I don't care what list you use, but do your own research. Absolutely. So second opinion, do your own research and make sure you understand what the doctor is telling you. Take a list and ask what else it could be. Uh, find out, you know, what, what, what it is. You have, you have to know what you're doing. Don't, don't do what I did, please. Yeah. This whole book is, you know, do what I say, not what I did. I mean, well, that's, but that's how you learn, you know? I mean, yeah. I had a, I had a, a surgery. I needed it, but it went, it didn't go so well. Yeah. You know, and then, and then the doctor, uh, the surgeon told me that he did everything he could do and there's nothing else he could do. And that I was just going to have to live with the pain and the result of what happened during my first surgery. And I, I did, I took that to be true. And then it took somebody else, a friend to say something to me, like, you know, maybe you should go see this doctor just to get like another opinion. And I did. And it was life-changing. I got, I got another opinion and this guy said he could fix me, this doctor, and my life is very different now, you know, but I didn't, you know, there's a man telling me a male surgeon telling me, I've done everything I can do for, you know, I've done everything. This is just the way it is. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that on this, just recently, my brother-in-law needed some surgery and he, he, he is a doctor. He's retired now, but he really went about it in the right way. I was so proud of him. The first thing he did was research the various surgeons that he was recommended. Yep. yep. I found, found yep. out number one, where they were trained. Number two, how many of the surgeries they had done? He wanted it was esophageal surgery, esophagus surgery, and he wanted somebody that specialized in that. Right. Then he looked up the various hospitals. Which hospitals have the most esophagus surgeries? That's hard to say. And you know which have the best record? Which have the? Uh, yeah. Sometimes hospitals specialize in heart surgery, and other hospitals may be better for brain surgery. So you really want to research your surgeon and research your hospital, and then, you know, pray you don't make a mistake. <laughs> it happens. We all do. 
Yeah, no, I know. Thank God. Thank God I started to advocate for myself, but oh my goodness. I mean, my life would be so different. So well, another thing that, that I've also learned when you research a doctor is would ask several doctors for second opinions and see, or who they recommend for second opinions and see if the same name keeps coming up. Cause that would be the person to go to. Yes. That's a great tip. That's a great yeah. tip. You did, we touched on this earlier. We said, we're talking about how women will think that it's their stress that's causing things. But really, realistically, how much role does stress actually play in women's health? Stress can play quite a bit. Okay. Stress certainly lowers our immune system. I'm in no way saying it doesn't. And women do experience a lot of stress. There's no question about it. But it's not the only reason women get sick. And that's what's important. But when a doctor tells you that it's stress. He isn't necessarily blowing you off. He very well may be right because we do suffer, as I said earlier, we do suffer from stress more than men do. No question. Right. 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 So it it can be a very legitimate diagnosis, but it isn't necessarily the only diagnosis. And that's why what else could this possibly be is an appropriate question. Okay. So how, how can women focus their doctor visits so they get more of what they need now besides writing things down? That's really, that to me, that's really the main one. Okay. And I try to do a little homework before. I, I, I'm one of those, you know, I'll go in and do you think it's, it's thumb cancer? You know, I research <laughs> right. cancer and pain is one of the symptoms because maybe it didn't occur to her. Maybe this was an orthopedist. So maybe, you know, I don't know what she's thinking of. And she probably sees people that come in with thumb arthritis all the time, you know. So how about this? You know, you're, you're in the room with the doctor and they're like, do you have any other questions? And of course you can't think of any at the time, but what happens if you like get home and, or, you know, in the car ride home, car drive, you're thinking, oh my gosh, I should have asked this question. I should have asked that question. What do you think? What should we do? I would email the doctor. Okay. I would email and and now I don't think my doctor, for example, doesn't really have an email, which is upsetting, but then I phone. Right. Don't, the point is, don't let your question go. Questions go unanswered. How right. you get the answer? There's, you know, email, phone, what, whatever you go back, whatever you have to do. Okay. But get answers to your questions, and I think that's just, you know, it's, it's important if nothing else for your peace of mind. Okay. And peace of mind is very important. I agree. Um, I agree, hundred percent. So, what are your top three tips then for women who want to better manage their health and decision making capabilities? When it- you know, when it comes to their own health care. My, my first tip, probably on my second and my third, but my first tip would be advocate for yourself. Like you said, it was life-changing. Yep. And in my case, I was lucky. Hospitals are full of risks. And by agreeing so readily to my unnecessary surgery, I really put myself at risk. I should have advocated for myself. Yes. Number two, do your homework. Research your doctors. Where were they trained? What hospitals are they affiliated with? Do they have any medical malpractices? This is all at the back of the book or in the chapters. Um, And I think those are all very important questions. It is better probably if you can get a doctor trained at Harvard than if he was trained, I don't know, at a a much less high, you know, lesser quality school. Um, Although it isn't necessarily so, but it's still, it's, it's an important it's an important thing to find out. So advocate for yourself, advocate for yourself, do your research, which is a way of advocating for yourself 
And be prepared for your doctor visit. Don't go in and try to wing it. Oh, that's don't, don't worry about being nice. I mean, it's nice to be nice. I'm not saying don't be nice. I'm just saying you're not there to, to make a friend. You're there to take care of yourself and your health. And it's not, an, it's not somebody you're going to be having for dinner. So go okay. in and do your thing. That's, that's a good tip because I think that is, you want the doctor to like you, but then it's yeah. like, you know, but your health comes right. Right. No, exactly, exactly. And there is evidence that if you feel the doctor likes you and you like the doctor, it, you do heal better. It does oh, help recovery. Okay. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what, what, anything else you want to share uh, before we wrap? This is, I mean, it's fascinating. I suggest everybody uh, get the book. It's called Sidelined, How Women Manage and Mismanage Their Health. And it's available on Amazon? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I will put, I'll put a link to the show notes. Oh, great. Thanks. The show notes. Um, and anything else you want? Well, just for a quick second, the one thing yeah. we didn't talk about is medical history. Oh, and that let's was, talk about it. Let's talk oh, about that it. was my, my favorite, one of my favorite parts of the book. Because, you know, women's, women's bodies have been devalued throughout time. And, mm-hmm. and incidentally, that, that devaluation, it transcends cultures. I mean, the Chinese called daughters maggots in the rice. And the Dutch said a house full of daughters was like a cellar full of sour beer. It isn't just Western medicine. I mean, that's that's done this. I think the Zulus called daughters weeds or something. You know, so I think that that's uh, it's it's been throughout time, and we our our bodies have been considered to be the I don't know our, our uterus is meandering up to our brains, causing all sorts of inappropriate behavior and unstableness and all kinds of awful things, and so I think one of the reasons that which we I really didn't touch on is that, I, that, that women have trouble getting effective care and really have trouble advocating for themselves. Is to a certain extent, I think some of us, in fact, and probably many of us have internalized this, the, this history. It, you carry your history, we carry history within us. I mean, we right. all do. And I think it's hard to say, no, I'm really okay. It, my body is not, we don't, I don't need a new and improved version. <laughs> you know, I'm fine. And I need, I need to, make, to have that confidence tell the doctor that he really or she really needs to take care of me in a better way. Right. Oh, I think, I think that all kind of ties into putting yourself, making yourself a priority. Mm-hmm. You know, if you make mm-hmm. yourself a priority, you'll probably go seek the help a little bit better, a little faster. I um, think so. Yeah. Right. I, you know, and as I said, like it, it really took me, uh, sort of a failed surgery, you know, and then I got more in tune with my body and how I was feeling and all of that. So now I, I would say I'm a very different person than I was 10 years ago because of yeah. the experience. And as are you, I'm sure you right. write the book and, oh. you know, yeah. Absolutely. Well, I mean, and even the airlines tell you, you know, put, put on your own mask before you put your, the mask on your kids. Yeah. It's a good point. And, and you know, you, you need to be healthy for your family. I mean, if that's, Absolutely. If that's, if that's you're not, you're not as capable for your family. You're not as capable at work. Right. I mean, if you don't feel good, you don't feel good. You know. Right. 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 And please put yourself first. You know. So that, that would be the and do your research. Those two things would be my parting message. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Is there anything else you'd like to add? I don't think so. I think okay. we've done, we've really covered a lot of material. Yeah, I think so too. I yeah. think so. I think I think it boils down to a bunch of things like advocate for yourself, 
do your research, get a second opinion. Yeah. Uh, make sure you understand what your doctor is saying completely. And if you don't, yes. go back and make sure you understand it and right. be prepared. Right. Don't that's wait. I like that. I like yeah. that. Yeah. And that's exactly what it is. All of those things. And it would almost be hard to prioritize one over the other because they're all so important. They are. They are. Mm -hmm. I'm, you know, I think it, but if anybody listens to this and takes that away, I think those right. things. Oh, you know, put yourself, thrilled. you know, obviously read the book. <laughs> there's, um, there's a thought. <laughs> there's a thought. Read the book. But um, yeah, this is, this is great. Thank you. I, again, the book is Sidelined How Women Manage and Mismanage Their Health by Susan Salinger. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you for here. having me. Oh, this has been, I, I love, I love meeting the authors of these books that I read because then I get to put a face to it. I'm sorry, nobody else can see it, but, um, <laughs> okay. So if you've enjoyed this episode, please be sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple podcasts. It really helps us out a lot. I have a new pro-aging podcast bi-weekly. So please email Lauren at founder30.com for sponsorship opportunities. Take care, everyone. And remember, do your research and put yourself first. Until next time, take care.